The Offsite Podcast is presented by Offsite Consulting, offering financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Find Offsite on the web at auphsite.com. Episode two of the Offsite Podcast. I'm Joe Taylor Jr., joined by Darnell Suleiman. Hey, Joe. Good to see you again this week. And last week, we talked about the five pitfalls for new small business owners, startup leaders, owner operators is what you were calling a lot mm-hmm. of folks with very yeah. small businesses. So we thought we would swing around this week and, and look at more positive stuff. What are the five things that folks can start doing to improve the state of their small businesses? So knowing that you're a fan of the Harvard Business Review, (laughs) I want to take a look at some research done by Dr. Ramana Nanda. He teaches business administration there, writes a lot for the Harvard Business Review, does a lot of Harvard Business School research. And uh, some of the work that he's done has been around identifying the traits of successful entrepreneurs. Mm. And he went back on a paper that he published about four years ago and identified a number of studies going back to 1989 that look at what are the successful common traits that entrepreneurs have, okay? Here's something that I found really interesting. I hadn't dug into these numbers until we started having this conversation the other day. According to his research, about one in 10 Americans identify themselves to the IRS or to the Census Bureau as entrepreneurs. And yet, entrepreneurs hold approximately 40% of the nation's net worth. And that's with numbers going back to 1989. So if you think about it, 40% of the net worth in the United States is held by people who would describe themselves in some way or other as an entrepreneur, which is which strikes me. <laughs> wow, this is interesting. Okay. Are you surprised that that number seems a little high? Or yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida, uh, very surprised. Uh, and the reason why I say this is because uh, when I think of an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm thinking of an individual or a group of people who are willing to take risks, jump in the market, study an industry, jump back out, you know, take the profits, move on, find another industry. And often I, uh, when I, when I uh, uh, deal with my clients, uh, some of them are not that savvy. So um, I'm, that's interesting that they classify themselves as entrepreneurs or as, and, when I, and also I think of risk takers, mm-hmm. really willing to take a risk and put, you know, the, the house for mortgage to, 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 you know, uh, uh, to, to make some money off of, off of an idea. So, and that's another thing that Dr. Nanda and his team looked at the idea of what constitutes risk, because the team at Harvard started out looking at these numbers with a bias, thinking that entrepreneurs were primarily wealthy people or people that had a lot of money that Mm -hmm. they could put at risk. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about investors, angel investors, Mm -hmm. venture capitalists, and there's tons and tons of regulations that dictate and determine your eligibility status Mm -hmm to formally invest money in a startup, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be a, a qualified investor. You have yes. to meet a variety of thresholds to say, if you lose the money that you put into your investment, you're not going to be destitute after. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, some research that the team at Intuit, this is a company that makes QuickBooks, mm-hmm. they found out that, of American companies get started with under $10,000 in initial investments. That I can see. And and that rings true for the folks that we have tended to work with, Mm -hmm. the folks that we're accustomed to talking to, uh, small business owners, micro business owners. The idea that here in America, you can launch a company with $100. That's right. Uh, there's a great book out there called The $100 Startup, which oh, wow. which I love to reference, which is basically if you know how to hustle, you can get something going and you don't need to launch with $10,000 in right. the bank. You just have to you know, hang out the shingle and let people know that you're there you're to there. take yeah. services, yes. right? So looking at all the research that Intuit 
came up with and everything that Dr. Nanda and the team at Harvard came up with, uh, we pulled out five specific actions that those researchers identified. These are the common denominators of businesses that thrive and succeed and they're all operational based. There's there's not kind of a big have a fantastic vision, have a great. You know, we're we're <laughs> assuming that you've got a great vision and a great product and a great <laughs> all of this. Um, but these are some nuts and bolts, boots on the ground things. And I want to get your take on on each of these things. Okay. Okay. So common denominator number one, they start the business with business specific checking and savings accounts. So why would somebody ever start a business without first getting a, a business bank account? Normally, if someone starts a business uh, and they have not separated you know, their personal life from their business life, it's normally because they can't afford it. And that, that often happens. Um, 90 days in and you're, you, know, you have some revenue coming in, some profits coming in, definitely separate the two. And the reason why that's that's such um, I, I highly recommend that is because you have to be able to understand what does it cost for you to operate. Um, and oftentimes, many small business owners do not understand, you know, what it costs for for them to operate, to deliver their product or service to the customers. Uh, so I, I, I that's 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 very that's, it's, it's fundamental. Uh, what I and, and 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 what often happens is you we uh, like we discussed on our la- our last podcast we get into what is co-mingling. and and um, also you know if if uh, when you have the commingling thing is uh, oftentimes the IRS will count those personal distributions as a wage to yourself. Whereas, you know, um, that's not what you wanted to see on your, on your, you know, through your bank account activity. So, yeah. And assuming positive intent here, you know, assuming that somebody is doing this because they don't know any better. What's, what's the impact if you don't have a clear record of what you bought for personal use or what you bought for business use? Especially if you're shopping at a place like Walmart or Target, where some of the big box stores can be very vague. It's not like you could be buying office supplies mm-hmm. and you could be buying uh, toilet paper, diapers, yeah. to- toilet mm-hmm. paper, right? Yeah. Uh, the the impact <laughs> the impact is uh, if you wait too long, to, and, and, and I'm using the 90 days as as once you hit 90 days, you, you should have. Uh, uh, an accountant in place, a bookkeeper in place to handle these things. But the impact is if you're two years in, and I've seen this, or you're a year in, you're going to have to pay someone, um, uh, and normally according to the volume of activity, to separate, to uh, allocate what's personal, what's business. And that, you know, that that easily could run a minimum three to five thousand dollars had you just taken the time in the beginning to say, you know what, I want to go down to my local bank, open up a bank account. And this card, this debit card, is, uh, is only used for business purchases, uh, and and it's and and it's a headache, uh, and and also you're going to take away from you uh, uh, spending time with sales, developing your own company. So it's it's a it's a financial impact, and it's a development impact to your company. Absolutely. I, I love, we'll point out for a second that we're doing this essentially live to tape right here at our office in Center City, Philadelphia. So we've got great ambient sound coming through. Hopefully it's not somebody that's been commingling funds. The feds don't normally show up with squad cars and Mm-mm. sirens. They prefer those no. black Yukons, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, about right. <laughs> so the, what struck me with the Intuit research the idea that most businesses in America are starting with under $10,000. There's a correlation, I think, between folks that are starting up businesses and um, uh, I guess a frustration with the traditional banking system. Do you find that folks get a little either frustrated or confused or intimidated by the process of setting up a business identity or a business bank account? That's a good question. Do people get frustrated with setting up? Uh, um, are they frustrated with the traditional banking system? 
from the loan side, yes. Uh, from uh, from just going and saying, hey, I started a new company and I, you know, do I want to set up a new bank account? I, I think, I think, <laughs> it's interesting. I think it depends um, uh, where you're at and your stage of what you're selling, who's your target market, uh, what's the product. So the guy who's selling T-shirts uh, you know the um, the uh, or maybe a hot dog stand. This guy may say, "Look, you know, I'm not going to set up a traditional bank account," and some have, uh, uh, and and or and you may have the guy who who's probably uh, doing professional services, uh, or uh, he needs he needs a line he needs to show to uh, his his uh, vendors that you know he's he's legitimate. He may take that pursuit, you know that that he may uh, go open up the bank account, um, but I think it depends on you know the the industry. I think it, it also depends on um, on who is the target audience too. Uh, the guy who is selling T-shirts, he may actually has you know use Square swiping cards, and so you know selling you know uh, Eagle shirts, and he's like, look, you know, hey. Um, that's it's 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 advantageous for him. Uh, where where I see where I have seen a frustration that comes down to lending, um, the uh, and, and the frustration comes from I'm a small business person. I need more uh, greater capitalization for operations. And when I go to my bank, I've banked there for t- uh, 15, 20 years, and. And uh, they do not want to lend me five thousand dollars that would really, you know, uh, uh, help uh, impact growth. And that's normally where I see the frustration coming from uh, the small, the, the the entrepreneur. The interesting thing that I ran into over the past weekend, I went to a conference and spoke to some musicians, and one of the things that they had expressed was they had a banned PayPal account. And not a banned checking or savings account. And so when you think about tools like PayPal and Square, there's this element of internet services that have made it easy for small business to accept funds, but the funds are living in a kind of limbo. They're in a PayPal account, which is not a a traditional bank account. Mm -hmm. Or with Square, Square might be depositing the funds of those receipts into uh, an account like an American Express Serve account, a prepaid Mm -hmm. debit card account that's not a traditional bank account. Mm -hmm. So there's money and there's cash flow, but there's a reluctance or a lack of opportunity for folks to get those accounts set up. Yeah. Interesting. Have you also, have you encountered at all anybody that is just frustrated to the point that they just don't trust a bank? (laughs) That's, as you were saying, that's, that's what was, um, uh, going to, it was in my head. I said, Oh, these guys don't trust the banks. Um, there, there is, there is uh, a culture right now. Uh, when we think Square, when we think Intuit, when we think PayPal, and the other uh, 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 cash, you know, collection services for small business people or, or receipts, uh, credit card processing, uh, they, they are, they, they, there, there is, there is a segment of the population who. Um, are anti-bank and PayPal and, and and Square. They said, "Okay, cool." You know, um, and 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 to be really a lot, of, especially with Square, a lot of people were tired of the you had to buy a terminal, you had to pay uh, maybe seventy-five dollars a month, then three percent processing fee, and uh, and and you know, and and have a contract for five years. Uh, and and this normally came through the bank, and 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 then the bank wanted you to have maybe a minimum balance of twenty five hundred to five thousand dollars. And mind you, we're talking about uh, companies that are being uh, with startup capital of ten thousand dollars. So that's half yeah, the capital. That's half, yeah. So um, uh, there 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 is this frustration, but 
The beauty is uh, now that we have Square, you can get into the market relatively very cheap, two percent. There's no cost, and even when you, when you, if you know, not that I'm promoting Square, but I'll, I'll take a check if you want to send it. <laughs> um, is you know, and you know they'll they'll process it in, and actually they'll give it to you for free if I'm correct, because mm-hmm. they'll re, you know put the ten dollars back in your bank account for the little uh, uh, swipe card. Um, but, but even in that scenario, you can still see see what I because as you were talking and asking and, and giving your statement about the frustration, my my brain, I was thinking you this can you can still make this company legitimate, even though you know of, with with consideration that uh, their you know their deposits are not in a traditional bank. All you do is bring through a, 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 an accounting professional. And in the same way, have the accounting professional draft the financial statements, and uh, if 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 need be by CPA, depends you know what what type of what type of activity we're talking, and it's legitimate. File the bank you know required tax statements and so forth, and it, so it just comes down to this this bank side. It identifies an opportunity or an advantage if you are accepting credit cards, whether you're using Square or PayPal or Stripe or one other low friction entry point into that, you automatically have an itemized list of your receipts. That's right, that's right. So what about a company that deals primarily in cash? (laughs) Ah, the cash. (laughs) Woo, wow. Okay, so for those who operate in cash only, Normally, you know, if I, so if they, if they're not using, if, uh, you know, something to record sales, such as a shopkeep, and they're, you know, they're not using the, the, the credit card processing piece, you know, so if you want to operate in cash only, I would still, you know, get something that can record transaction history. So shopkeep is a point of sale point of system. Sell, yes, it runs on an iPad. iPad, basically. exactly. Yeah. Thanks. So it runs on the iPad. You can record the transaction. You can get a client to receipt. Um, but then there are the clients who do not want to use shopkeep. <laughs> and so, what you know, what what which way? How can I track or give an estimate, a conservative estimate of transaction history? Then I look at your expenses now. So you know, you spent maybe um, and, and you know twenty thousand. I don't know in expenses for your ice cream truck. And and I've had clients who have come to me saying, I only have the expense side, I can't tell you. And I normally say, look, we're going to take a conservative estimate and you know, and and and, and that's the way. But what I what I always recommend to clients is use some type of tracking system for revenue expenses, so sales and your expenses. Um, because if it always comes down to you want to expand. And, and your accounting professional uh, definitely wants to know, they, we, we desire to know, you know, how, how do we, how do we um, uh, you know, how do we gather this data? And, and you're just coming to me with, like, off your head saying, hey, I made this amount of money. Yeah. And, and that brings us to the second of the five best practices, balancing cash inflow versus cash outflow. So in the last episode, we talked a lot about companies that just ran out of cash. Founders just didn't know what they had in the bank. And at a certain point, they get a, they get a statement. Let's say they actually made it to the bank and opened an account. They get a statement that's in the red. And they say, oh, well, there goes the business. No more cash, right? So this seems fundamental, but we found out from the numbers last week, about a third, you know, 29, 30% of businesses just run out of cash. So looking into some of the Harvard uh, Business School research, uh, there are a number of case studies that show really simple tweaks that folks can make to actually understand the cash inflow and, and adjust how they're paying cash out of the business. So what are some of the tricks or tips or ways that you've helped clients set up a good reporting or uh, income versus outflow reporting and oversight? So the f- first thing is pick, get, get some accounting software. You have, you, if, if, if you want to stand, if you, if you need to understand your revenue, you have to record it. 
You cannot get around for that. And when the money comes in, you have to record that you receive payment. Uh, oftentimes, I see uh, what I'll see is, uh, you know, uh, somebody will invoice for twenty thousand. Oh, the checks in the bank, the money is is, is gone, and they, you know, they never update and said, oh, I received twenty thousand uh, from uh, from Joe. So the first thing is get you know hire an accounting professional, uh, or and uh, once you hire an accounting professional. Uh, uh, definitely, uh, you know, you're going to tell her the, the software, the program to meet the client's needs. So go into details about your items list, your expenses, um, and put in also a policy and procedure in place that, uh, and it says, you know, you literally, you got, and at times you have to teach people to say, look, um, uh, I'm, I have, I'm going to go in, I'm going to invoice uh, for Cookies. So, so I'm since I'm going to invoice for cookies, it's two thousand dollars recorded. You know, now you have accounts receivable. They send the money in. Also, when it comes to cash collection, you know, if 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 you're going to use um, what is it a uh, shopkeep, you know, have a system where they automatically link. I think there's one I just discovered called Intel Retailer. If it's a Retail Intel, it's one of those. If I might be saying it backwards and and they link the the uh the uh shopkeeps pos system with quickbooks and so you're you're no longer having to do the entries it's just a journal entry piece uh, but the key is 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 taking the time to set up the accounting information system you cannot get around it uh, uh, and and what i would say also is have every morning it to me, because I, I am an accountant, every morning I'm checking balances, my balances. Uh, 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 I'm checking, like, it doesn't matter how much I have in a bank. I need to understand what, what's the nature of the activity of going on in, in, my, in my other account, multiple accounts. I have an operating account. I have an account for payroll. I have a savings account, which hold large sums of money. Then I have a dues and subscription account, which is you know regular activity, monthly activity, annual activity, uh, and 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 these also, when it comes to uh, uh, the, these, help give you a um, a model of how uh, financial oper- financial operationally how your company operates. I have alerts. I use calendars that. That I actually have a I have a calendar that says debit calendar, and on this debit calendar, what it what it says is, hey, the bank's going to pull this money from this day at this amount. That that helps you understand uh, when the money is leaving, and the same thing with money coming in. Set up alerts. Hey, I had to call. You know, what's up? Where's the money? And 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 lastly, look at your data at least biweekly, you know, not monthly. Uh, but every other week, look at your financial transaction or, or according to how much activity you have going through your bank account. And there are a couple of things I want to dig in a little deeper on. Certainly one is the accounting software doesn't have to be a massive expense anymore. QuickBooks has a monthly plan now. Yes. It's all online. You can yes. do it off of a tablet if you, yes. you know, or a yes. phone even. Um, there's other tools Fresh out books. there. FreshBooks, yeah. uh, GoDaddy actually yes. has a tool. That's, they do? Yeah. Know that. GoDaddy bought a startup called Outright.com and rebranded that product as GoDaddy Accounting. And it's it's basically for very simple businesses. I know a lot of freelancers that use okay. it. Uh, just basic income and expense tracking. Okay. But it connects up to your credit and debit cards. So nice. Uh, nice. The the running thread, the the commonality here is build into your day to day system that when you take money in, you record it, and when you send money yeah, out, you record, you record it. Record it. Yes. The the other thing that I wanted to dig into is your debit calendar because I've heard of a case where. Um, uh, one of the studies participants reported that they were having major cash flow issues. Mm-hmm. And so the researcher asked, you know, when do you pay your bills? Do you put them on a calendar? Do you pay them, you know, as they come in? <laughs> and the the participant in the study said, Oh, yeah, we pay them when we do our check run. And we do a check run every Friday. 
So they could get an invoice in on Tuesday that could be net 60, net mm-hmm. 90, but they schedule it for the check run that Friday because yeah. that's when they write their checks. Yeah. So it sounds like one of the things that you can do is when you get that invoice in, if it's net 60, you can use your bank's terms, bill pay mm-hmm. system, that's or right. you can use, you know, you can use terms, but you can schedule that out. That's right. And if a vendor has said, yeah, it's net 60, um, you figure out on the calendar, okay, what's 59 days from today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> put it on the calendar. And that way you're not releasing funds sooner than you have to. And what this actually really speaks to is the lack of organization in operation, operating financial, you know, the, the lack of operations in a financial department. And often small business owners, and we, we talked a little bit about this, uh, actually we went into some detail, that operationally they don't understand how uh, an, an, a business should run. They understand their product. And they, they often know that you know how to produce that or serve that very well, but but when it comes to running the organization, and and I'll be I'll be the first to tell you I learned a lot of this from working uh, workshops at you know Apple and using the calendar, use the calendar for everything. Uh, once I started doing it, it helped me. I, I became immediately very organized, and I'm guilty of maybe three weeks by and reconciling, you know. Uh, when I say reconciling, I'm referring to after the transaction have downloaded, saying I'm matching them mm-hmm. up. This is this is legit. This is legit. But uh, any any you should look at your fine. You know, Monday morning you should uh, uh, in, in any company because I can't say well you know if you're if you're baking cupcakes and you're you know you're only doing a couple hundred. Well, not well, maybe you're doing a thousand a week. No, you you shouldn't have a, a little weekly meeting. No, you should. You know, maybe Monday morning, Wednesday morning, you you know you look you, re, you look back and say, okay, well, what do we do? How much should we make? And 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 that gives you an understanding of how you know once these uh, tools are set up, how does my organization, how does my company operate? So it's it's imperative. It seems mundane, and that could be a reason why some solo business owners avoid doing this, but it's essential. And the studies are showing that yes. successful businesses, businesses that last more than three years, uh, the founders are doing this kind of work. Yeah. It's a headache, it's a hassle, but you have <laughs> to do it. Yes. The other thing that I want to dive into a little bit, so you and I both are in that boat of reconciling a few weeks after the fact. Mm-hmm. We'll kind of batch up. You know, I know in my business, I'll mm-hmm. just batch up all of my transactions mm-hmm. and just kind of you, I use a tool called iBank, mm-hmm. and it lets me just check off. Yes, this is something that actually happened. Yeah. Wait, did I actually spend that much taking a client to lunch? Yeah. You know, things like that. And I, ha- I can have those conversations in my head. Mm-hmm. But another advantage that business owners have, even though access to capital is still fairly tight, it's mm-hmm. been tight since 2008. Yes. The recession really wiped out a lot of small business lending in the United States Mm -hmm. for those under $5,000 capital requirements. Mm -hmm. However, still fairly reasonably easy for a new business to get a very small line of credit on a business credit card Mm -hmm. or to establish a business debit card. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's nice about using a credit card for your transactions is that you do have, depending on your bank, at least a 30-day window to dispute transactions. So if so if that becomes part of your routine and you're doing a lot of transactions via credit card, you can bundle that up and yeah. and review um, don't wait until the statement comes, but yes. use the online tool and review. Did you make all these transactions? Yes. Are they are they legit? Did any personal ones get in there by mistake? Mm-hmm. So you can you can look at it that way too. Agreed. Agreed. And it, now, as, and as you were saying, as my brain said, okay, now you need you need to hire somebody because that will take you away from delivering your product or mm-hmm. service. So you'll definitely. But I, I recommend that. I, I I'll look. I, I've been known to call the bank three a.m. Say I saw some. <laughs> Take a look at this. So you know, but that that's and and and, and the credit card thing is really good because. Oftentimes, um, when you only have a debit card and say you're traveling, you, now you've, you're, you've tied up maybe $150, where if you're using a credit card, 
you have. And um, first, they don't tie up your money. They don't tie up your credit. And they, they only uh, charge you for what is actually, you know, the service that was rendered. And we're talking you. about places like hotels. Yes, primarily. Hotels. You and I have both just yeah. come back in from the road yeah. for a yeah. few weeks. And depending on where you stay, that hotel, you know, th- if, if there's a mini bar in yes. that hotel room, they're going to put a hold of $300, dollars yes. $700. Yes. I've, it's been a while since I've worked primarily in the music industry. Mm-hmm. I used to have clients that would wreck a mini bar, mm-hmm. but I just stayed at a place in Miami and it was a $500 hold. If it were back in, day, in the day yeah. when I was first getting my business launched, mm-hmm. having to justify that to my partner and say, yeah, we're going to have to tie up $500 of our money it's, for a hotel room yeah, hold. It's not, it's not worth it. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the thing. For, for those people who are working on your credit, it, it has to be talked about. You know, go, go get, if you have to take $500 to get a, a secured line of credit, go do it. You don't grant it. You've tied up your 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 five hundred dollars. Maybe in, in eighteen months or twenty four months, they'll 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 give you a regular credit card. But when you're traveling and like you said, you know where where they will say, you know, we need a hundred. You're you're here for four days. We're gonna charge you a hundred dollars a day. That's four hundred dollars. That's your cash flow. So whereas. They're not going to charge on a credit card. They're not going to hold anything. And that's the yeah. thing. The hold usually disappears off a credit card. Yeah, like probably the next day. Three, three, yeah, yeah. Whereas the cash, that's what they normally say, like uh, nine days. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. So. And and it's it's wild because that has become such a standard operating procedure at hotels yeah. that. You will get no sympathy at all from the desk clerk <laughs> you know, because they'll, they'll just say, "Well, just give us a hundred dollars." Yeah, so yeah. the secured credit card, I think, is a really good tip yes. because you're going to tie up five hundred dollars mm-hmm. anyway. anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, so you may as well let it sit in a savings account, exactly. and then you know, worst case scenario, you still can get at that five hundred dollars. Exactly. exactly. The, the hotel may have four hundred of the bank's money. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that, and that, and that's and that's a good way to look at it. It's definitely a good way to look at it. Coming back to major reasons why a small business would hire someone such as yourself. This third on the list of five tips really leaps out. And that has to do with oversight and policies and procedures. You touched on it a moment ago. But here's a story. This is on the extreme end, right? But it happens in businesses of all sides. So there was a case about 10 years ago that really brought this into the, the limelight. There's a paralegal working at a company decides to start falsifying invoices, okay? There used to be a, a law firm in New York City called Fish and Neve, mm-hmm. okay? Big patent law. They merged into another firm. Uh, but at the time, this paralegal figured out that she, if she registered a business and just called it Fish Neve, take out the ampersand, mm-hmm. registered the business, went to the bank, got a bank account for the business, went to her employer and started submitting fake invoices to the company that's named very similarly to the one that they normally cut invoices to. Mm -hmm. And here's the the kicker. She somehow convinced her boss that it was easier for her to just drop off the checks on her way home from the office Mm -hmm. than going through their standard accounts payable. Oh, boss, you know, that law firm is on the way back to my place. I'll drop those checks off. For six hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. She ended up getting sentenced to three to nine years in federal <laughs> for that. That's about right. So that's an extreme example. But I've heard another case. There was uh, when I was living in Georgia. There was a case where a very kind lady worked for a construction company mm-hmm. that I was familiar with, and somehow had deluded herself into thinking that this scam letter that she got in the email was for real and she thought that all she had to do was put $100,000 into the Western Union and these guys were going to get her $500,000 back because they had to unlock the assets of some you know holding company and they just needed someone in her county that would allow her to use you know and every time they kept getting her for more and more they would kept, they would say 
oh, well, there's been a holdup. You need to give us $200,000 more, but you'll get $800,000 back. And if I remember correctly, this happened in Athens, Georgia, eight, nine years ago. Uh, This was not a huge business, but it was a, a business that she had enough floating through it that she could float it out mm-hmm. and and think that she could get it back in time. And I think they got her for about 1.2 million. Wow. Okay. So both of these examples really highlight the need for oversight and policies and procedures to make sure that even a founder or even someone that's a trusted person in the company shouldn't be ever left alone with the books. There needs to be another set of eyes on the inflow and the outflow at all times. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you said, I, I think it's it's embezzlement, theft. It happens more often than people want to talk about it. It's embarrassing. And do, uh, you know, who, who wants to go and say uh, to your bank or to your shareholders or stakeholders, hey, yeah, someone just you know got me for two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. First, when when his business op- when his owner operated, the business owners have to make you know have to come to the resolution. We will operate legitimately, constructively to make this a going concern. Oftentimes, um, and the reason why I'm saying that first. Because what what I've what I've noticed is there's not this resolve to say we're going to put policy stiff policy and procedures in place and we're gonna we're gonna function off these policy and procedures that so there has to be a resolve a commitment to this is how we're going to operate mm-hmm. once that's done uh, then you will have you know what I what I call the protocol points person who's going to, you know the person who sends out the invoices, accounts receivable, they're isolated to, you know, just that job right there, that function right there. The person who uh, uh, does accounts payable should not be the same person who's signing off on the checks. And, you know, when, you know, there should be a, a register, a journal that's submitted, you know, to to the signee, you know, or to the authorizer to say, hey, you know what, these look legitimate, what's up with this one? I don't know who this person is. But, but when I see there's theft, what I also see is that there's not a, you know, there's not a, res- a resolve to we're going to operate our business. I don't want to say legitimately. We're, 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 we're going to we're, we are going to adopt the best practices. And oftentimes what, you, what you'll see is people say, no, that's my that's my friend. That's my cousin. Oh, just over the weekend. You know, this is my best friend. You know, we've been frat brothers since. uh for 20 years, and I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. So, and, and so there has to be the resolution, you know, there's the resolve and the commitment. Once that's done, the policy, you know, you train, you have to give some, you know, workshops, and this is the process of how you should run your financial department, your accounting department. And if there's buy in there, um, and, 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 because I think people feel, you know, the, 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 the business owners feel a little awkward telling their mother, mom, uh, nah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a little of that. There's some, uh, there's very likely some ego involved. Mm. Explain when you say ego. So I think that many business owners, when they enter into this kind of, Lifestyle, right? It is a different kind of lifestyle when you own your own business mm-hmm. because now you do have to think about things differently. Uh, you don't want to necessarily be paranoid, but uh, I think Oprah Winfrey says it best when she says, sign all your own checks, right? How many stories of folks that turned their accounting uh, and, and handed a signature stamp over to somebody and then yes. three years later you hear like, oh, they're broke yes. because- they were not in control of the outflow. Yes. And you want to have high aspirations for how your business does. Mm -hmm. But I think this falls back into that category of operational elements that set successful businesses apart from those that fail. One Mm -hmm. of which is to say, let's get it out on the table now. We're going to adopt best practices so that I never have to worry that someone might 
be influenced by who knows. I mean, a business that I was a part of, um, we had a situation where a very trusted person on our team found themselves in a high stakes gambling ring. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were basically gambling. Mm-hmm. They had racked up a significant amount of debt, and the choice they were given was you could get money from your employer mm-hmm. or make it easy for us to get money from your employer to be able to pay off that debt. So you may, when you launch that business, think that, well, this is my trust. I've hired family members, I've hired friends, but you don't necessarily know everything that's going on in everybody's life to be able to rule out that someday somebody might be forced into a situation, right? Or someone may not have the common sense to know that, you know, this is the way that you do it. So mm-hmm. the earlier that you set up that, that oversight and that governance piece, the sooner you get it out of the way. Yes. And I think that that's the piece for many business owners that just feels so unsexy. Yeah. yeah. They feel like there are a hundred things I'd probably rather do to invest profits <laughs> in than this. Yeah. And yet, again and again, this research from Harvard and elsewhere shows that the, the folks that get this piece done early thrive later. It's, yeah. some, it's a common factor in success. Let me add one, one, one little short, very short story. Uh, when I had my cleaning company, I did a lot of work with the city of Philadelphia. And, um, and uh, I remember talking, I went to go see my father. And one day uh, uh, I was out there with one of my dad's old friends. And he said to me, he said, um, Darnell, I said, hey, what's up? He says, you know, why doesn't this says, you know, why doesn't your company say, uh, uh, which my dad's, my father's name is David, David's, uh, David and son. And I kindly looked at him and said, because I hold, you know, the buck stops with me and all liability stops with me. And as a business owner, you have to, you, you must understand that, uh, that, you, you know, um, you 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 have invested a lot of your time and your energy, and at the end of the day, uh, uh, if it's if something doesn't come out right, and you know I'm I'm using that broad, but you know everything stops with you, and and it's not as glamorous as you know as 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 we see on television. Um, you you know you will not. Always have friends. This is a business. We're in a, we're in a business to make money, to to expand and 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 share some of our wealth if you choose to. Uh, uh, but but this also goes back to our previous conversation of just this, this 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 lifestyle delusion. Mm. <laughs> you know, the client I visit over the weekend, guy says, man, he has a one point two million dollar car, five cars, and I'm like, what? And that's and I'm thinking to myself, how much do y'all make? You have $1.2 million, excuse me, home and, and five cars. And so if you want to know why somebody's stealing money, this is the reason why. And, and, and so oftentimes, uh, another piece you must put in is the operating agreement. Mm. They're, they're, the, opera, the operating agreement establishes how, you know, who gets the distribution of, of the profits? How that's, how's that going to work? Who's responsible for what? And also, you know, uh, maybe uh, six months in, a year later, we have to revisit this because business is dynamic. So it's, it's going to change. And, 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 and our roles in the business may change also. And so that's, that is a very important piece also. And that's a great segue into the fourth item on our list, which is to set routines for things like uh, deposits, reviews, and uh, reviews of both your financial procedures and your personnel procedures. Yes. So one of the things I heard you just say was it, it basically, when there's conflict in a family business especially, a lot of it stems from an idea that maybe there's an inequity or an imbalance in some way. And we see when folks embezzle when they actively start to steal from an organization mm-hmm. one of the justifications is often well they have plenty of money or they're doing fine mm-hmm. they won't miss it mm-hmm. and so i could see in a situation where a founder has 
a high value home and a number of expensive cars, someone working in that organization would say, mm, yeah, I want more of a cut. And maybe maybe I don't feel like I'm getting an, uh, an equitable share based mm-hmm. on my contributions. What, what, I, what I've seen, wow. What I've in, wow, what I've normally see is one partner drops from the day-to-day activities and only focuses on one segment of the business. So we'll just say sales. And they're uh, oblivious to uh, this one one client I've, I've visited where uh, the partner actually had other revenue coming in and was not depositing into the bank account. Mm. And 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 we're talking. I think about maybe about a quarter of a million dollars in two years, and and the other guy's like, you know, well, I know you got these contracts, and 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 that goes down to this 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 really touchy. You have to establish this. You have to you have to take the the ickiness, if that's what I want to say, that funny little feeling that you get, but. At once, once it's drafted, once it's you know it's ratified, agreed upon, you you'll see that you may hurt some feelings, but come two weeks from now, everybody's doing their job. It's it's fun. It's all, and and everyone knows their accountability, where their accountability lies in the organization. The uh, for technical startups, Silicon Valley type companies, mm-hmm. I often see this come up with founders agreements, and when investors come into the picture, mm-hmm. uh, folks start to get a little rattled because the higher your employee number, the less equity that you may have had from the outset. And when mm-hmm. investors come in, that starts getting diluted. Yes, and now all of a sudden, it's oh, I was employee number twelve. I was promised 2% of this company, now I own 0.2%. Well, what's what's going on there? Uh, if you're not transparent about what that really means, mm-hmm. you could set up a scenario where somebody feels really disillusioned and yes. they, they start to warp their personal sense of ethics mm-hmm. around what in their mind seems valid and just, which is yeah. they, they feel like they put X in and they should get. In the case that you just cited, you know, for whatever reason, that partner is thinking, well, I went out and got this sale. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to run this like it's my own little skunk works within the organization and that money's going to come to me and, and, and it won't pass through the organization. Yeah. Where in reality, that operating agreement spells out what the day-to-day activities are, and you know, at what threshold somebody is still engaged with the business mm-hmm. versus essentially running their own side business. And you should also have penalties put in. You know, it's interesting because as you're talking, my brain said there should be penalties clearly outlined. That you know, if you failed to do this, here's what would happen. You failed to do this, here's what 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 would happen. You know, what, when when we think about startups, and and I've and I've actually on on the East Coast, I've seen this with construction firms, where you'll see a bunch of guys come together, um, and you'll see someone come in and invest or capitalize the, the organization, put some money in, and take and and now the investor wants you know some equity. I I think. Uh, when that conversation starts, you know you have to sit down with your, your employees uh, and say, "Look, here's here's how this is going to play out." Uh, and but also, I think in, uh, upon inception that that needs to be a, a conversation too, and not not so vague. Something on papers. In it, look, you know we're we're going to make a new app for jump jump jacks. I don't know, jumping jacks for children. I don't know, and this new app. Uh, you know, we're going to try to bring it to the market, and we have five employees, uh, and each of us have twenty percent. So now that we have twenty percent, but yeah, we need like you know maybe two million. So, and then you know, as, as you're pulling your team together, say, look, here's where we're at right now. Your 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 stocks, you know, are going to be your, you know your equity income will diminish. But here's the trade-off, mm-hmm. and give that some you know some real reality to it. Here's the numbers, and here's our intent. And when people see it follows, when they actually see the return on their investment from someone else, you know, capitalizing the firm or put, investing, 
it takes away that tension. And 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 then and then revisit, you know, with with this person coming in, did we meet what you were looking for? Did I meet what you were looking for? Mm-hmm. These conversations, it's interesting because it's just like a relationship. People don't have these conversations, but they're you know very you know um, uh, very real because what happens is in in in, in all uh, business relation or in all relationships, people have these expectations, and we really don't address them direct head on instead of saying you know. So I heard you say the word icky a little while ago. Yeah. Susie Orman writes about this extensively in her books. The fact that American culture since probably World War II has made it completely uncomfortable for people to talk about money with each other. <laughs> it, and, and this is a culture where we will put people on reality TV that are, that are trashing restaurants and openly talking about bodily functions. But if you get people in a room and ask them what they make, you know, what's your salary? What's your salary? It goes south really fast. People get really, really upset. So, so one of the things that a successful business has to do is get over that hurdle of feeling comfortable talking about compensation and feeling, talking, uh, feeling comfortable talking about the financial performance of the company in a way that's nuts and bolts and not the conspicuous consumption of, Here's a founder with a great big house and lots of cars in the driveway. Mm-hmm. I think it's more imperative for someone like that to actually be transparent and say, here's how I got those five yes. cars in the yes. driveway. And here's yes. where that money came from. And here's what I've put into this business. You you have to open things up so that people can really see what they're contributing to. Yeah, And it's not just this perceived inequity of, I work really hard and that guy has five cars I'm going to get me a car. I'm mm-hmm. going to charge the company card or I'll yeah. find a way. There's a, um, there is a blog post floating around this week as we're taping this at the middle of November. Um, a founder from a company, uh, I believe it's the, the co-founder of a company that was originally called Rap Genius. It's now just called Genius. This mm-hmm. is a website that lets people dissect and comment on music lyrics. Okay. And one of the co- one of the original co-founders who has since been ejected from the company wrote about how he was able to get the company to pay for all of his groceries at Whole Foods. And he put this up on Medium and one of the investors in the company basically started a tirade on Twitter that was all about, I can't believe that this is how this guy, he used some choice language, mm-hmm, <laughs> spent... Mm-hmm. My money that yeah. I invested in this yeah. company was basically going into uh, this guy's addiction to Whole Foods and yeah. how he was able to force through this perk that employees and founders got all of their expenses at Whole Foods covered by the company. Um, th- that's that's one of those things that you hear about from the Silicon Valley culture yeah. that People might read and say, oh, well, apparently that's normal. That's No, that's not a normal and customary yeah. expense of your business. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and, yeah. and there is nothing there you know, in that founder's mind. He mm-hmm. felt entitled to that. But no, that's what your compensation is for. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know if we're going to talk about this at a later time, but founder syndrome is such... You, you, see, you see what happens... As a founder, as a business owner, we get caught up in our ego real fast. And, and sure, we, we'll bring a great product to market. People are loving us, you know, and we're making a lot of money. And, you know, we're, a lot of things are coming to us our way. And so, uh, as I once heard the reality distortion theory comes into play, and now you, you, you're just warping you know, uh, uh, you're, 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 you're making conclusions that are not supported by logic mm. or, or, you know, and now you're, 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 you know, grafting it the way that's suitable or drafting it the way that is suitable for you. And, 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 and that's, and, and if, and that's another, you know, uh, thing I've also had, had to say is that, that is, that is destroying companies that this level of entitlement that, that, uh, founders feel, when uh, 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 that they believe they can just take out of the company 
And of course, and they know this was my company. Well, you're the, the going. The, the purpose was also to make this a going concern, and uh, and and to make it to have the company be able to thrive each and every month until you actually make say, you know what, I'm gonna shut this down. Mm-hmm. You know, so and that brings us to the last of our list of five best practices for new startups, new small businesses. Set thresholds between success and failure. So we've been talking about the research conducted by Dr. Nanda at Harvard Business School. Uh, One of his papers looks at the distinction between wealthy and non-wealthy entrepreneurs. And whether or not they were defining success by being able to exit their company, essentially grow, build a company, and sell it to somebody, or if they were going to run the company as a meaningful going concern, mm-hmm. okay? So there's, if you can envision this in your mind, two by two matrix, wealthy, not wealthy. Mm-hmm. And I think they use that threshold of, do you have, uh, a, would you be a qualified investor? Do you have more than $100,000 in a separate bank account? Mm-hmm. Do you have an independent income from outside, from somewhere not the business? Mm-hmm. Things like that, okay? So one of the things that, Dr. Nanda looked at, the definition of successful exit is whether you were able to walk away from that business with more money than you put into it, and whether you did that within the first three years or after the first three years. An unsuccessful exit would be when you walked away and you had either nothing left or if you had made a personal guarantee against the business or liabilities of business incurred, were you walking away in the red? Okay, so so I'm framing it up that way. This is how they framed it up. Um, Here's something that I found really, really interesting. Wealthy entrepreneurs, by this definition, are generally less successful than entrepreneurs that come in and bootstrap with under $10,000. And can you guess why? And why do you say? So... This comes back to what I heard you say about founder syndrome Mm -hmm. and ego. Somebody that's coming in and running their own business may have a lot more ego wrapped up in it and (laughs) might not want to see it fail. So they're going to use their own money to prop it up Mm -hmm. in year four, year five, year six, Mm -hmm. rather than just let it fail. Mm -hmm. So we um, sometimes hear about this cult of failure in Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. especially the idea that folks talk about failing fast. Um, Failing fast in a lean startup environment, I think means you experiment with something and maybe it works or it doesn't work, but it doesn't mean failure in the sense of you have gone bankrupt and you have no assets and the IRS is sitting outside in the black Yukon, (laughs) they would like a word, right? Okay. I think that in, in this context, it's about being nimble and being able to pivot and shift your ideas around. And if you need to end one business entity mm-hmm. and create another because mm-hmm. your skills have adjusted or you've come more into alignment with where your skills really lie, mm-hmm. you know, according to this research, that's really the way to go rather than necessarily keep plowing away at a business that's not cash flow positive. So the guidance here was set a specific threshold that says, at the moment that I have put X amount of dollars into this business Mm -hmm. and it's not taking off, it's not going anywhere, I have to declare it DOA. I have to declare it dead. Interesting. And I'm saying interesting because I've never considered that. I have never said, you know, what is that threshold for me to walk away? Um, now, as an employee, I've said that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I said, oh, I, this is not for me. But as a business owner, um, I'm trying to think. Um, no, you know what? I may have, but maybe I probably just didn't document it. Yeah. Um, well, we probably, you know, we all talk about what's your number, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the number if someone walked in and said, I'm going to write a number on a piece of paper, sell me your business. Mm -hmm. And what's the number for you to either become someone else's employee Mm -hmm. or in some cases to walk away completely from the thing that you built? And 
founders will often brainstorm what that number might be. Mm-hmm. There's a little element, kind of like winning the lottery to it. Um, if you've ever seen the HBO series Silicon Valley, they talk about folks who rest invest, the idea that you get you get a buyout offer from a big company and they don't need you as an employee, but you still have to show up for work so you can get your payment. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you might have to spend six to 18 months sitting on a rooftop getting a suntan, yeah. <laughs> making it look like you're badging in and out of the business. Yeah. But the flip side of that is you got a significant check of mm-hmm. some kind. Well, what Dr. Nanda and other researchers are proposing is you also have to think about what is that number at which point you have poured money into the business and you know it's not going to survive? Okay. I think that our loved ones probably have numbers. <laughs> I think every yeah. every entrepreneur who is in a relationship, mm-hmm. their partner is the have one that knows exactly at that what number. point the savings yeah. dips. And yeah. like, you know, I don't think you should put any more money into the ice cream truck. It's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but that's but they said a really good way for you to know is to measure against that threshold and say not just tracking up 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 but if there's a downturn if there's something that happens in your business and all of a sudden there mm. is a cash crunch yeah how much are you prepared to risk and so i think that's what dr nanda is trying to say okay. that you know before the crisis yeah what you have available to risk and at what point you say too much of a risk shut it down Interesting. Okay, so my my <laughs> so uh, and I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if this is the actual rule. So similar, you know, when, when you're an employee, um, uh, I tell people try to make you know if your rent try to pay your rent in a week, not more than a week and a half. So you've covered your rent. In business, I look at it as um, I need I need a uh, uh, three months of operating capital. Now, if I cut that down that to half, I'm freaking out, you know, because we, you know, I still I'm still operating. And, and it's interesting because part now here's the ego too. Part of the ego is like, we'll get back up. Yeah, yeah, we'll get back up. It's part of the, the swing, and you know, uh, and so if if I if I have to go into my savings and I'm moving money over. That I'm I'm now going into the three months comfort zone, then I have to start taking a, a, a consideration, uh, and or restructuring. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember. Wow, I'll say this. I when I when I one year uh, three years ago, I, I spent six thousand eating out, and I was like, what the hell? What the hell are you spending six thousand for eating out? And but once I understood that number. <laughs> It, it dropped to four, yeah. then it dropped to two. Now, this was a lot of meals. This is what you didn't <laughs> yeah. go into Barkley Prime yeah. and just yeah. get the gold-plated cheesesteak they yeah, sell man. over there, right? Yeah, this was... <laughs> and, 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 but it quantified for me to say, stop wasting money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for me, it's that three-month that three, month, that three month threshold. And also, if I'm looking at what prospects are coming through, what contracts still need are outstanding need to be signed? Uh, I haven't really given an, um, because when I when I hear uh, you know, and this is I guess the ego talking. If wow, you know, is I'm gonna, am I, I'm gonna let somebody get my baby from me, <laughs> my baby? And, and as you were talking, I said, well, ten million. I said, I don't know, you know, because I enjoy what I do. There's, you know, I, I love fly, finding a client who has a real the problem, a real screwed up problem, and they're like, just make sense of the numbers for me, and I'm like, okay. So it's, it's, I, I love the thrill of it too. So um, could could really ten million dollars provide those thrills that uh, or, or satisfy the thrill that I get when I know the FBI is after one of my clients and. And and they only have thirty days to turn this report over, you you, you understand? So you know, um, I don't know. That's, that's that's now you got me thinking. Yeah, and and I think it really draws back to the importance of looking at those dashboards mm-hmm. on a regular basis, knowing what money's coming in, what money's going mm-hmm. out, and you can look at those trend lines and say we might have had a month where we had way more outflow 
but if you know why yeah. and if you know yeah. how it's yeah. going to be different, um, you know, I can think of in my own business, we had months where we had a lot of outflow mm-hmm. because we had to purchase equipment or mm-hmm. we had temporary projects or events that we had to stage. Mm-hmm. So our outflow was higher. However, we knew that that was on the back of client engagements or promotional events that we were yeah. doing that were going to make money. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think it's that piece of knowing at a certain point if you know that your pipeline is solid, exactly, you can take better, more calculated yeah. risks. And with that, we're at the end of episode two of the Offsite Podcast. We've got show notes, resources, and more information available at offsite.com. That's A-U-P-H-S-I-T-E.com slash podcast. For Darnell Suleiman, I'm Joe Taylor Jr. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Joe. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions stated represent those of the speakers and not those of their employers, the producers, 2820 Press, or any program sponsors. This podcast does not constitute legal, business, or financial advice, nor should you take any action on anything you hear during this podcast without consulting a competent advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or blog. This has been a 2820 Radio Production.